Let's go. Hi. Hello. This is Amy. I'm Holly, and you're listening to My Dignity. Hello. We are back <laughs> for episode two. For those of you that don't know if it's your first episode or we didn't really explain it very well last time. Yeah. We're a true crime podcast. I mean, we're a true crime podcast, but like we're not one of them serious true crime podcasts. Yeah, we like to do our research, but we're not... Um... I don't want to call us a comedian because I don't think yeah, I'm that no. funny. We, we don't really... We're like in between categories at the moment, so we'll clarify it in a later episode. <laughs> Look, we've just done an introduction, so that's a start, Lee. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to talk about from last week's episode or I yes. know you have an update for the, the what you were talking about? Yeah, I do. So my my murder last week, I was actually randomly talking to my mum about it today and she told me that and I didn't know this when I was when we were doing site visits there, another woman we worked with whose name was Shelley, I'm sure she won't mind, but she's definitely not gonna listen to this. <laughs> but um basically she went down there once to do a site visit when the drains were really bad. Dean, the guy who lived in that basement apartment, whilst it was happening came out and spoke to her and she thought oh what a lovely guy she came back into the office and said to my mum oh what a lovely guy he was I met him and he told me he's been trying to put bleach down the toilets to help unblock them for us oh my god and I know we were saying last week that we didn't think he sounded like a drug crazed murderer to have the ability to stay in a flat with a body for four months and to be able to come out and have a normal conversation like that and be like, oh yeah, I've been trying to help out by putting um, bleach down the drains oh and seemed God. completely normal and a lovely guy by all accounts of her in the office. So yeah, just another little freaky anecdote for you. That's ins- that that's evidence enough that he was completely... Sane. Yeah, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, definitely. Um... Anything else from last week? I've been thinking a bit about last week and one of my friends actually that listened to it said that there's a little bit of a vibe that I might be, it potentially could be taken that I was kind of victim blaming a bit when I was saying like don't isolate yourself when you move in with a new new guy or something and that's not what I meant at all. I just want to clarify that what I meant was if you're going to move in with someone make sure that you like just do what you can to prevent that happening. Like if you're in that situation it's not your fault. Like yeah, if you it, ever get into the situation where you are isolated and this person's made you cut everyone out of your life, that's not your fault and you don't deserve to be in that situation. Yeah, like you were just saying, kind of learn to recognise early warning signs that the person you're with is probably going to be an asshole. Yeah, like it's kind of one of those things where like we were talking about last week about how your anxiety is like anything could happen. So just and be like, aware. I, know that I always, yeah, I always go out of my way to make sure that I don't put myself in certain situations like... I don't go out in the dark at night, like I don't do, it's just stuff like that, so just be aware of what's going on around you and make sure that you're keeping a support system around you, is all I meant by it. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, most people completely get what you mean, definitely. Um... Oh, Helen's Law. Oh yeah, Helen's update law. us. That, yeah, that law I was talking about last week, um, 6th of July 2019, there's a BBC News article and it's about Helen's Law, so it follows a campaign after Helen McCourt, who was murdered in 1988, um she so she was obviously murdered and her killer ian simmons was like arrested and everything and then he's not revealed the location of her remains even though he's admitted that he killed her just to like be difficult yeah well just to like it just it's like that extra thing isn't it like just to fuck with the family a bit more yeah like he still owns that no one else knows kind of and like a petition was made and six hundred thousand people signed it wow 
Yeah, and how many? Six hundred thousand. How many is it that you need to get a petition into like Parliament or whatever it is? Isn't a hundred? Hundred thousand? I can't remember. Ignore me. Um, we'll have to look into that next week. Yeah. <laughs> we'll catch up. So in 2016, MPs voted in favour of the introduction of Helen's Law. So when they're introducing a law, it goes through the House of Commons and everything, and then it goes to the House of Lords, and they've got to basically say, like, it's all right and stuff. And then it goes back. Um, And then in 2017, Justice Minister Philip Lee said that such a move risked creating perverse incentives for murderers to lie about the burial places, causing further unthinkable pains for victims' families. So it was kind of, like, held back a little bit. Yeah. Then the Ministry of Justice says the parole board guidance is already clear that offenders who withhold information could face a longer imprisonment, but has Helen's Law, for the first time, makes it a legal requirement to consider this consumer when making the decision whether to release the offender. Um, yeah, I can see how people could think it's almost giving a little bit of control back to the murderer or whoever. But yeah, then... because they could lie about, but like, they lie about everything. Like, yeah. they're going to lie about stuff in there, like... It's like, they, it's also they get time off for, like, if another inmate talks to them about their case or whatever, like, and they lie about that all yeah. the time. So you can't say, like, oh, they're going to lie about it. Like, it's not like they've not got places they can lie about or things they can lie about already. Yeah, I think it's a good thing, definitely. And in terms of, like, lying about where a body is, like, if they say, oh, the body's there and they go check and it's, it's not, not, like... they know. That, yeah. They're not going to let them out and be like, oh, cool, okay, we'll get to that next <laughs> oh, week. Oh, we just must have missed it. Like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Mrs. McCourt's local MP, Conor McGinn, praised her dignity and determination, adding that this is a good day for British justice. I love yeah. that. That's a nice yeah. thing to start off with. Yeah. So let's get into some murders. Yeah, I think today's going to be a long episode because I have done so much research, basically. Wait, can I go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hang on, I'm just going to get comfortable. Okay, so we received an email... After, what did we write? We wrote on, like, social media something like, send us we your... We tweeted out. Yeah, we tweeted you guys. We got some feedback, which was great. So we got an email from Marie Ogle. Ogle. I'm really sorry. I'm not sure how to pronounce your last name. But she basically sent an email saying, Hi, um, please can you do the murder of Summer Inman? I'm not sure if I'm saying her last name right either. Inman? It's spelled I-N-M-A-N. So. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. And I've never ever heard of this before, so I was literally oh, I don't even know what I'm saying. I was You literally like you <laughs> we got it this morning and then an hour later text me like, Oh, I've been looking at this murder and like I really like I'm I'm really into it already. Yeah. So I was basically. like, Okay, do it then. So I read the email, looked it up straight away and I was like, Oh my god, I have to do this. This is it is heartbreaking. So all of the information that I've got, um, in the email, she talked about a blood relative episode, which is like a reenactment episode, and I hated it. It was absolutely really? awful, yeah. And in the email, they did say that the, a lot of the facts in it were wrong, so I'm, I have some stuff from it. It gave you like a vague outline of what happened, but it's done in this really dramatic way with this female voiceover and all this reenactment of like, oh my god, then this happened, and it's like, oh my god, shut up. This is like a horrible thing. They're like dramatising it and making it all like spooky like they have like frogs hopping across the kitchen counter to make it seem creepy and stuff I just didn't get it and I found a another website which was called www dot 
summerinmanmurder.wordpress.com, which was absolutely amazing. There's so much information. Then I used the Sandra Inman Murderpedia and an ABC News article, which has like a lot of links to YouTube videos of the actual news footage that was from the time and like the 911 call from her dad. So, did you listen to it? Yeah, it's so sad. So, I'm going to start off with some background information. Okay. So, Bill and Sandy are both in their late 40s, early 50s. In 2004, they live in Hocking County, where they've converted their garage into a church. Um, Bill was a minister, and they also lived with their son, Will, or Willie, and his wife, Summer, and their three ah, children. okay. They then moved from Hocking County to Florida for two years, where they did a lot of um, like carpentry work, um, construction work. Then in 2008, they moved back to Ohio. So at some point during this, Bill has his license to be a minister revoked, and no one really knows why. They know why. Nowhere says why. So when they move there, they have like they move to Ohio, and they have all these great plans to do charity work. Um, they had a plan called House the Homeless, and they even had a certificate of incorporation. So they're like formally, they were a company basically, and they took charity donations. And in the reenactment blood relative episode, they say that they were going through a fraud investigation at the time that the murder and kidnapping of Sandy, uh, not Sandy, Summer took place. Okay. So just another little pressure. So where they're living is like a ranch, and. When they're there, one of Will's old friends, Adam, from college, comes to live with them. And he's unemployed at the time. And in the documentary, not documentary, like, weird episode, I don't even know what to call it. um, There's a policeman saying that he was always a lovely guy, like, said morning to him. And just seemed like like an alright guy. So, as soon as he got there, he started pursuing Summer, who was married, obviously, to his friend from college. And, um... She wrote in a diary entry, I knew the devil had me, talking about Adam. So she was interested in him? Yes. Then she then wrote in her diary again, talking about uh, Will, her husband. My mind was screaming, run, get out of there. But instead I stayed and allowed him to dig deeper into me and pull me into his grasp. So he's basically getting really, really jealous of this relationship that, that he sees between them. Um... He's known to be abusive, very domineering, and he's also very religious. And a lot of the articles actually say that refer to her being used by him a lot as sort of a sex toy. It's horrible, but I don't really know how else to... He, They basically were a very religious family who believed that her place was at home and to serve him. Pressure, However I guess. that is. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And look after the kids. So, um, oh. do you know what a sworn affidant... Affidavit? Affidavit. It's an American term, it's not an English term. Yeah. So, it's like, it's a written oath, basically, like, you swear on it. It's the same as, like, being on the stand in, in court. Okay, well, in a sworn affidavit, she, she says that he threatened to kill her if he if she ever took his kids away from him. When he thought that she was going to meet Adam or see Adam, he used to hide her phone and her car keys to stop her being able to leave the house. He was basically just not a very nice guy, very controlling, it was not a very good relationship. So eventually she leaves him in June and her and Adam start dating in June. So Oh, so it's very quick. Yeah, so she files to, for divorce and I think 
this is where things go sour. They had a horrible, horrible, messy divorce. So there was one point where she went over to the house to pick up her things and she brought the deputy sheriff and Adam with her. And even though they were both there, Bill, her father-in-law, um, threatened and actually ended up beating up Adam. But he was not given any jail time for this, even though it was in front of a police officer. He was given a fine and put on probation. When's this? 2000 and... What the hell? 10 or 11. And the police officer just watched them... Well, he obviously tore them apart in the end, but it was very difficult because he was there on his own, but I think it was like an actual incident. Are they white? Yeah. She's blonde, five foot three, very, very beautiful. And I think they he was all like young and like a nice... They were very like an attractive family. So... Ugh. So after that, she's picked up all of her stuff, completely moved out, and she's now dating Adam and living with Adam. So he goes on Facebook, Will, her ex-husband, well, still husband at the time. Yeah. Um, he goes on Facebook and he sees a photo, a family photo posed of her and Adam and their kids. Oh, and I bet that didn't go down very yeah, well. Basically, this caused like rapid escalation. So um, over that time, many, many reports were made by the Inman family. Um, to police about them, Adam and her and their kids. Oh, so that he was making reports? Yeah, the hus- ex-husband, Will. I mean, that'll do it, though. I like, know. when you when you divorce and when you split up from a relationship, like, my parents are divorced, so, like, when they split up and, like, you've got to move on. But still, like, to put something like that, was it on, a, like, a social media, like, on Facebook? On Facebook, yeah, just on Facebook. You can see the photo if you go on the website. See, Facebook is not she's the place like, to basically, air all, your, all of your shit. Like, if you want a photo, take the photo. I know, she's basically I don't sitting put on his on lap. Facebook. Yeah, me neither. I don't put anything on Facebook, because just for that reason, like... My profile picture's me when I was 12. Like, maybe <laughs> younger, I, I don't even know, like... But, yeah. One of their friends um, actually spoke to reporters and said that Sandra or Sandy and Bill, the grandparents, looked haggard as their lives literally re- revolved around those grandkids and she'd taken them away. So they weren't had no contact with them at all. What, and she was purposely preventing that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know. Is there like a history of abuse and stuff in this? He wasn't physically abusive, but he was very domineering, controlling, like hid her stuff, hid her keys, wouldn't let her go out. So yeah, just as bad. There is a history of abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Emotional abuse. Okay. So I just I must have just not registered that because I was like, I don't understand why the kids are being taken away. But of course, you'll take your children out of that situation. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And the whole apparently the whole time that they would argue and stuff about Adam and about them not getting along. Um, the grandparents would try and get involved and be like, no, you need to sort this out, do what's best for the grandkids, we all need to stay together. They were all living in the same house, like, and Adam as well. Oh, that's very in the pocket of each other. Yeah, recipe for disaster. Yeah. Okay, so let's cut to the 22nd of March, 2011. This is in Logan, Ohio, by the way. So, summer's 25 at this point. Okay. So she worked at a, as a janitor at a, ba- a local bank, and when she didn't come home from work, her father made a 911 call. This is because his wife drove out there to the bank and outside found um, an iPod and other items of hers, like including a coat, just left on the floor. And um, in the 911 call, he literally says, she's nowhere to be found, and his voice is like shaking. You can tell he's trying to be like calm because you don't know what to expect when someone's just missing it's not like he's found a body or anything 
and he's like we yeah. found her coat and ipod so immediately like alarm bells yeah but there's a very weird situation with the police and it's not told in any of the news articles as such or in the documentary but there's three eyewitness accounts and you can actually on the website they link to these so you can read them so there's three eyewitnesses this is all at 11 p.m so they see um, a white car that looks like an off-duty police car and two men in ski masks run over to her as she walks out of the building wrestle with her in the documentary they say that she was stunned but a None of the eyewitness accounts really say anything about that. But one eyewitness tries to intervene. And this is seen by two people, two women jogging. So this is a man who tries to intervene and stop them. And they pepper spray him and he's on the floor. And they shove her into the back of this car and drive away. So these two masked individuals Two ski masks pepper spray a guy to stop him intervening, wrestle this girl into the back of a car and just drive away. How old are they at this point? How old is she? She's 25. He's 28, I think. And her grandfather's late 40s, early 50s. He's like 47, I think. So the two joggers that see this happening start sprinting and they run to the local police department, which is just down the road. Mm -hmm. And um, they go in and like, oh, how would you even react if you saw that? Your heart's racing. They were like, oh my God, we need to tell you this. You'd be like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. We need to tell you, you need to go down there. You need to go and help him and find her. It, It sounds like they were. And they say they were treated rudely and police acted suspiciously. And they were told that officers, sorry, officers were busy tied up in traffic stops. What? Some woman's just been kidnapped in front of them. Yeah, I know. So they go, they run back all the way home and one woman goes into her house gets her husband and they're like no we need to go back to the scene of this like, i don't think the police are going to go so they drive back and they wait there for the police to arrive so this is already half an hour later they get there and no police have arrived on scene and, and they wait another hour before the police arrive another hour yeah okay. i don't understand so this is the worst part in an article brian d casto he's a forensic pathologist and he says that she was killed 45 minutes after being kidnapped so in the time it took for them to even get to the crime she was already dead if they'd i know i'm speculating but if police had rushed that scene they could have got that car and they could have got her out because they only had 45 minutes to do it and they didn't even respond till an hour and a half afterwards that's so bad i don't understand that i I don't understand how traffic stops are more important than yeah they just didn't believe them at all i think they were just like blew it off like oh these what 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 are you talking about? I can't. Why be would you lie about it though? I know. Like and even if they are lying about it, deal with that afterwards. I know. Like, get I don't know. Give them some prison time or something afterwards. Don't waste police time. I get that, but they're not gonna come in just to waste your time. I know. Okay. So she was found stuffed into an underground septic tank at a local church called Faith Tabernade, something like that. She was bound with zip ties and strangled with a zip tie. Um, this with this was a church that her father-in-law Bill had helped build, twenty miles oh. away from where she was last seen. So they don't they don't initially find her body. So when she's missing, four hundred people gather for a vigil in. Um, outside the bank she was last seen at and they sing amazing they sing amazing grace it makes me so sad like I almost want to cry the whole the whole idea of vigils and stuff it's a beautiful idea but from like stuff like gone girl and like like the cold case that we're listening to at the minute of Susan Powell like all of that kind of thing where the murderers go to these vigils I know. And it's just a bit like 
it just does I think it's just makes my skin crawl yeah because you'd be looking around constantly wouldn't you you'd be like are they here Okay, so she's missing from that um, Tuesday at 11pm. And Wednesday morning, the Inmans are seen in a white Ford Crown, which is the exact car that was used, at 7.30am going through a car wash. Later that day, they then get new tyres. So on Thursday, all three of the Inmans are arrested on suspicion of her kidnap. So they went for a car wash and to change the tyres the same day she went missing? The morning after at 7.30am, yeah. So, you need a car wash at seven in the morning. I no know. one needs a car wash at seven in the morning. And why would you randomly just buy four new tyres? I think it's because they like skidded away from the scene and they didn't want them you to You say be that they but match. I'm going to have to buy four new tyres for my car. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't look after my vehicle properly. I mean, yeah. at least I change the oil and stuff, but I don't do the tyres and I'm going to have to go buy four new tyres. So Understandable, but, but I mean, in this circumstances... Not straight after I wash it. I wouldn't do both on the same day. No. No one cares about the car that much. Yeah. (laughs) So initially, they didn't cooperate. What the? What did I just say? (laughs) Cooperate. (laughs) Cooperate. (laughs) They didn't. Um. They there was no cooperation from at all. But um, Mm -hmm. eventually, Sandra admits to gives them the location of the body. So I want to read you some of her confession because it's now released. They they kept it. Um, what's it called? Sealed because they Mm -hmm. thought she was going to testify. But um, they've now released her confession. So um, she says Sandra was involved in it as well. Yeah, she was driving the car. People did say witnesses did say they saw a blonde woman driving the car. So the two people that got out was were Bill and Will. Will. And Bill. Okay. Yeah. So she says, quote, it was my idea. I thought I could talk to her. <sighs> so they no, forced... No, you didn't. Yeah. No, you didn't. I know, I know. She basically claims it was all an accident. So apparently it was Will that strangled her. And she says, um, I know, I know positively he did not do it on purpose. How do you accidentally, do you accidentally strangle someone with a yeah. zip tie? Sorry, but... Um, how do you accident... You know how long it takes to strangle someone? It takes, like, four minutes, four or five minutes. That's a long time. I know. Because otherwise they'd just be, like, passed out and they'd wake back up. Like, it takes four or five minutes for someone to die from strangulation. Yeah. You can't accidentally do it. You can- It's impossible. Yeah. So, Bill and Will Inman bound, um, bound her wrist with black plastic zip ties um, and sat her on the back seat with Will. So, her husband... Well, a strange strange husband. Yeah. And um, she says, Sandra says that she was telling, she was screaming, telling them they were never going to see her kids again, all of this. Um, And then she says, I I think he blacked out, dot, dot, dot. He looked at me and said, oh my God, you know, mum, where's the knife? Where's the knife? Where's the knife? I can't find it. So basically she's saying that he's freaking out and he's done the zip tie around her neck too tight and she's dying and he's trying to find a knife to cut it but can't and she just dies. Oh, but I don't. I don't. I mean, really I don't know. believe it, but I can also see how it's an accident. I in know. Air quotes. Like if that's how they did it. I know. Then I see how it's an accident, but still, it's easy. It's not easy, but like you'd bring something to break them with. If you were just talking to someone, you'd put them. You wouldn't even put it around their neck. Yeah. So if she's you just basically... wanted to talk to someone. I know. I know. Why would you put it around her neck in the first place? Just yeah, tie I don't them understand. Down. Yeah, it's you not. tie their hands no. or you tie their legs, you don't tie their neck. What's that going to do? What's he tied it to? So she then tells them where the body is and she says, so he's driving, um, they pull over and they see a church that they used to go to. She says that 
they were going to put her daughter-in-law's body into the Hocking River, which runs behind the church that they saw when they were driving with her dead in the back seat. And then she says, and then I seen the tank and I was like, you know, well, they won't find her in there. In a septic tank that people check all the time. In the tank, though. Yeah, but people check them all the time. Really? It's like a septic tank. They get emptied. It was underground, so they I dug it. How, I'm not a, I don't know how it works. I don't know. I think it had one of those lids that was bolted down, so they had to unbolt it, put her body in there. Screwed it's it back on. It's such a degrading place to put a body as well. Like, I know. Don't get me wrong, killing people and just dumping them on the side of the road is degrading anyway, but like a septic tank, that just shows how little they thought of her. Yeah. So apparently when the police found the body, they were unscrewing the lid and they said they've got a foot, they can see a foot sticking out. And then they relayed that information back to the lawyer who was present for her confession. So they radioed that in whilst they were in the room hearing her confession. And she says oh, so they they've got her. Like, we've literally got it. We've got, we found her body. Like, it's confirmed. Yeah, they're like, she's telling the truth. And, and she says, they got her. Good. Just like, casually. Like, it was nothing. Good. They found her. Yeah. Like, I'm the good one because I'm the one that's confessing. Yeah, so this is almost there, a week. You drove the car while your son and your husband yeah. killed a 25-year-old woman. And then you were like, mother. I know where they won't find her, in an underground septic tank. Yeah, and you came up with where to put where to put her body, which was the most degrading thing. Also, it came from, uh, what's she called? Sandy. So it was Sandy's idea to put her in the septic tank. Yeah, her idea. She admits to that. So a woman as well, a woman to another woman, a mother to another mother putting her in the septic tank. It's just disgusting. So this is the worst part. So they recover her. This is a week after. Mm -hmm. Her body was still completely intact. She was carrying family photographs and they found her ID on her. And she was still wearing the same clothes that she was kidnapped in. And um, her T-shirt read, I don't have an anger problem, I have an idiot problem. Like a black T-shirt with that big white print on it. I know exactly what you're talking about, like the funky yeah. one. You've seen oh. them. I've seen them. That's <sighs> that's the saddest part. Like this, just this could literally be anyone. Like it's one of those things where she was in like a shitty situation, but like you just don't. You never know. Like it could be anyone. Anyone could do anything to you, and it could be anyone that it happens to. I know. And it's just this normal girl wearing a shirt that, like... I mean, we've all got shirts like that one. I know. And it's just so typical, like... Oh, no. Okay, so, okay, now we need to talk about the sentencing. So, Sandra was given 15 years to life in prison. 15 years for killing someone that you lived with. I know she didn't kill her, but she was in on it. She killed her. Killing someone that you lived with and then deciding to dump them effectively in the most degrading place you could possibly dump a body i know i know she says years. yeah she said just rewind it there's no way no way possible not for any of us not me bill or willie would have ever 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 stepped foot into that car but you did if but what? you did it if they rewinded the situation she says just rewind it and there's no way we would have done that but they did but, it i know so she, she made she that doesn't choice. even make sense I know. There's. I mean, yes, knowing what you know now that you were going to go to prison. Yeah, you're, that's not about her death or killing her. That's about yourself. Yeah. Okay, so Bill and Will are both given the exact same sentence and convicted of all crimes. So they're given life in prison with no possibility of parole, consecutive running with 10-year sentence for kidnapping, three years for tampering with evidence, and one year for the gross abuse of a corpse. And remember that Ohio is a death penalty state. So they could have been given the death penalty, but they weren't. But is that there's... because they admitted to it, do you think? Yeah. So <sighs> in their final... Is it their final hearing where they can give a statement? It's something like that. 
So mm-hmm. Bill, the grandfather, says, I regret my actions. I can't undo what I've done. I'm sorry for the families that I've lost. I'm sorry for my family and my grandfamily. I'm sorry. It's almost like he thinks he's upset he's done this because he's lost out so much. Do you know what I mean? I'm sorry yeah, for the families like, that I've lost. Yeah, it's like, it's another one of those things of, like, the ser- like the killers that they that turn the situation on themselves. Like, I feel so bad for what I've lost and what I've done to myself. Yeah, he's like, like I'm so I'm sorry. He's like, yeah. I'm so sorry I've ruined my own life. So, yeah, there's no but way he's getting out of... Bill's not getting out. So, like, so little sidebar with this sentencing stuff like yeah it really annoys me when in america especially because i don't think they do it here i've not heard it here in any cases when they get charged so basically when people get sentenced in the uk it's, they usually get charged with the worst thing yeah and then that's it so say someone like murdered someone while they were committing a robbery they wouldn't get charged for the robbery they just get charged for the murder because that yeah. carries more than anything yeah and, like, time would be added on because they committed the robbery as well. In America, they get literally get charged for everything. And it's so, what do they get charged for? Um, murder, what else was it? Um, kidnapping, tampering with evidence, and gross abuse of a corpse consecutively. But they right. got it all consecutively. So that means it runs at the same time. I know. I absolutely love it in American courts when they're, like, you're sentenced to, like, 360 years. Like, I yeah. think it's, I think that's, like, the worst thing you could do. Like I know. It mean, would mean more to the to A, to the family, and B, I think it would mean it would make a bigger impact on the killer's mind if they heard, you've got 360 years, like, you're never coming out of prison, ever. Yeah, for sure. Like, I love it when that happens, it, 100%. It's like, it's like a, the only fulfilling part of it, isn't it? Yeah, it's so satisfying when they go to... When they go to the sentencing and the judge is like, you are to carry out like 580 years or whatever. Yeah. It's like, that is just so good to hear because they're never going to come out. You always feel great, like, hearing the judge as well. And I'm like, yes, I'm so glad you've done yeah. said that. Like, Because that means more than like 38 years or something. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Because so, 38 years isn't that far. It's really not. 500 odd years, that's like what? six generations imagine being there and hearing that as well yeah exactly like i just think that's what but that's just a personal thing i just thought i'd put in there like no i, I think that's... i just wanted to finish on the words that her sister said afterwards at the end of the trial or the sentencing hearing or whatever it was mm-hmm. so they haven't seen them and this is her speaking directly to bill the grandfather yeah, she okay. says her sister says bill may you never forget the light you took from this world and may god's will be done and just sits down like that's the last I mean, thing he hears and he's meant to be this religious really deeply religious guy a minister like he was a minister and she's like let god's yeah. will be done she's just yeah. like fuck you in a really nice way yeah she could have been very nasty I and know. she had every right to be and she should in my opinion i'm one of those get angry apologize about it later people but yeah that's i would so... have been like jumping over and punching him like, i don't think i could control myself to be that it's so eloquent. dignified yeah yeah oh jeez. i know it's a horrible one but i'm so glad that i'm so glad that we got that email like thank you so much because i was rinsed through that this afternoon like fascinated me what an awful story i know horrible horrible i hope we did it justice though i know hopefully my facts are better than that awful oh my god i only watched like up it was 49 minutes long i think and i got to like 26 minutes and i was like what am i watching here like this isn't funny really? but it was like they were almost trying to make it funny and it's dramatic you know like in american shows where they like keep keep things like going I guess. yeah and they use the dramatic music and they cut to an ad break and then they come back and it's like doo-doo. yeah really bad 
But oh, yeah, that was a that was a heavy one. I know. I'm excited to hear yours now. I'm gonna sit back and relax. <laughs> Are we ready to make it heavier on this oh, podcast no. tonight? Let me have a drink. So, Are we ready? Yes. So I am doing Beverly Allett. I've never heard of it. She is a nurse that murdered babies. No. Yeah. Oh my god. And I'm one of those people that really find it fascinating how people can go into the medical profession and then use that to harm people. Because the main principle behind it is do no harm, so I don't understand. It's just insane. And to use that, and it's the same with like police officers. So like the Golden State Killer and stuff, like people that use their position of power to harm people. You did, did you do history GCSE? Yeah. Do you remember when we did medicine through time and they first came up with the pledge that all doctors and nurses have to take? Yeah, the Hippocratic Oath. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's so crazy. So it's like, do no harm, like, only do good, and all of this. And it's like, oh, but then there's also people... You've got to remember as well, like, they have access to, like, all the drugs I know. that you could think of. Sorry. My sources <laughs> that I used were, like, Wikipedia, Murderpedia and biography.com which is actually a really good one biography.com is really good so beverly allett was born on the 4th of october 1968 so we're going back a little bit yeah yeah before my Um, mum was born (laughs) just out your mum like that (laughs) (laughs) you're old (laughs) so she had a sister and two brother uh, two sisters and a brother sorry and um she attended like a normal state secondary school after she failed to get the right grades to get into a grantham get into grantham girls school um and then she left school at the age of 16. so she's one of those that had munchausen as a kid so she had she exhibited worrying tendencies when she was growing up um she would wear bandages over cuts that she would like and she would like draw attention to herself but then she wouldn't let anyone look at them i'm sure everyone almost did that as a kid though didn't they a lot of people did that as children like oh my god put the little like sprain thing on like oh it really hurt my heart yeah i guess it's just attention seeking there's a difference though when she's constantly got a new bandage on every single day yeah then as an ad an adolescent she put on like a lot of weight very quickly she increasingly was like attention seeking and then she started to get aggressive towards people she spent a lot of time in hospital for um a string of situations which included the removal of her healthy appendix which didn't heal for a long time because she kept messing with the surgery like wound what yeah like she would like pull it pull the stitches out and stuff why did she even get a healthy appendix removed i swear they don't let you do that well to be fair like they don't know if 100 percent that's what's wrong with you because i went into hospital before um and i had like a problem with something else but they thought it was my appendix like i was in the surgery were like about to get wheeled down and they did another ultrasound before they went down they were like oh no it's not your appendix it's something else Uh. so it's quite easy but still like and especially this is like 1970s we're talking as well true they didn't have the same knowledge or technology so she was also known to self-harm a lot and she would doctor hop and she goes to like different medical practitioners because they would like catch up on her like behavior they'd be like oh beverly's back in like there's nothing wrong with her Mm. um so that's munchausen syndrome is when you harm yourself so after this, she started turning to to harming others to get attention. And that's Munchausen by proxy because she wasn't getting the attention she required anymore from yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, God. So despite not finishing school and leaving at 16, she left um, 
she began to train as a nurse and there's reports of strange behavior when she was training um so when she was training there was like feces spread on the walls of nursing homes that she was training at and they don't think it was the old people in the home yeah. and she was like consistently absent she was never in because she was always ill and like her boyfriend from the time described her as aggressive, manipulative and deceptive, claiming she claimed a false pregnancy as well as rape before the end of their relationship. Oh my God. Um, Beverly was taken into the understaffed Grantham Hospital in 1991. Uh, so it's really understaffed. It doesn't, they kind of just needed staff wherever they could get it. So they were, she worked on children's ward four where there were only two trained nurses during the day and one at night. Oh my God, how's It was bad. very understaffed. They just kind of took whoever. Yeah, they were like, you seem alright, you probably know what you're doing, just come work yeah. for us. And they assume they do, they've been to nursing school, like, and I'm sure there were very, like, very good nurses that worked there, but yeah. she wasn't one of them. So, <laughs> this is when the murders start. So, she started working there in 1991, February 21st, 1991. So even if she started on the 1st of January, it, yeah. within two months, right. Seven-month-old Liam Taylor was admitted to Ward 4 with a chest infection. Um, the parents were obviously staying with him overnight and um, Beverly basically said, you go home, he's fine with me, honestly, he's fine, you can you can rest. So they went home and when they returned, um, Alec told them that Liam had a respiratory emergency, but he, but he had recovered and she had volunteered for the extra night shift so she could watch over him again. Um, so the parents stayed this time as well. So Liam had another respiratory episode before midnight and then Alec was left alone with the child again and his condition worsened like dramatically when she was left alone with him. He became like really pale with red splotches all over him and like the recess team was called. Alec's colleagues were confused because he shouldn't have got to the point where he was pale with red splotches if she was in there alone with him. Um, but they didn't flag it up or anything. There was just a delayed call with the recess team. Mm. So he had a cardiac arrest, suffered severe brain damage, and the parents had to make the heartbreaking decision to turn off the life support. Oh no. Um, but Beverly was never questioned for this. What so did then she do two to weeks him? after this, well, it all comes out at the end, like right, she's okay. Sorry. So two weeks later, Timothy Hardwick came into the hospital at eleven years old for an epileptic fit, which can just happen randomly. Alec was left in charge of him. And then after that, the emergency team was called again to Timothy. He had no pulse and he was turning blue. The team couldn't resuscitate him and the coroner could not find a specific cause of death, but like officially on his like death certificate, his epilepsy is blamed. Oh. So three that. days later after this, so it was the 21st, two weeks after that, and then three days after that, Kaylee Desmond, one years old, came was admitted with a chest infection um, she was recovering well though. Um, Alec was on the nursing team that night and she went into cardiac arrest. Surely. The research team were able to revive her and she was transferred to a hospital in Nottingham. Thank During God. a thorough examination in Nottingham, the physicians found an odd like puncture wound under her arm. <gasps> and they also found an air bubble near the puncture mark, which was attributed to accidental injection. And there was no investigation. No investigation. And this is the fourth Who... one. Like, I'm not a trained nurse. I doubt that it happens very often that you in inject someone in the arm, under the arm, in the armpit. I don't know. It always goes in the arm or in the thigh or something. Yeah, it doesn't I've go never, under ever. the arm. Actually, I've never heard of that. Like, straight in the armpit. Weird. Oh, yeah. what a horrible place to get injected. 
So 21st of February was the first victim. Then two weeks after that was like early March. Three days after that, we're talking like 10th of March, around that. I'm not, I've not worked it out specifically. But then the 20th of March, Paul Crompton comes in and he was admitted with a non-serious bronchial infection. Um, and literally just before he was about to be discharged, uh, Alec was left alone with him. No, he was so close. <laughs> so she called for help as he appeared to be suffering from insulin shock. What? Yeah. So It's almost like he... she tries to save each of them. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. That's what Munchausen by proxy is. So oh. she then, he went into a near coma on three separate occasions and they revived him, but they were confused about why his insulin levels were so high. So then he was transferred to a different hospital. Thank God. And Beverly rode in the ambulance with him there. No, no. I thought he got away. <laughs> he did get away. Oh, he okay. did get away. Good. Um, but Beverly rode in the ambulance with him there. And then when he got to the hospital, he had really high insulin levels as well. Again? Yeah. But he survived it. Oh. So the day afterwards, five-year-old Bradley Gibson, a pneumonia sufferer, went into unexpected cardiac arrest. He was saved by the recess team. And blood tests then showed his insulin level was way too high. And that made no sense because he had no problems with his insulin. Like, he wasn't diabetic or anything like that. All of them are coming in with a chest infection, something to do with their chest, pneumonia. And they all have, like, insulin levels, high insulin Yeah, don't levels. get me wrong. Like She's been very intelligent with how she's picking her victims. Like, she's yeah. stopping them breathing when they've had a chest infection. Like, I mean, this is probably how she got away with not being picked on, like, picked up on so far, so, like, quickly. Yeah. But, so, um, attendance was then made by Ali on the night shift, and it resulted in another heart attack. He was then moved to Nottingham, and he recovered. I'm so glad they're moving all these kids. Well, it's like a bigger hospital. Yeah. But still. So, oh. March 22nd, so this is the day after that. Oh, my two God. Two-year-old uh, Yik Hung Chan turned blue and was in distress when Alec raised the alarm. He was responding well to oxygen, and he was transferred to... Uh, the Nottingham Hospital again, and he recovered there too. Okay, so only how many have died so far? So we've had... Two, three. We had Liam Taylor, um, Timothy Hardwick, and that's it. Because okay. the rest she's all saving before they get sent to a different hospital. Yeah. So this is like, I mean, they're all awful, but I feel like this one is a bit like... It, this is when it turns sadistic, more sadistic in my mind. Yeah. So... Two-month-old twins, Becky and Katie Phillips, were kept in for observation because they were born premature. Becky had developed gastroenteritis and Alec took over her care. Two days after she took over her care, she raised the alarm, claiming that Becky appeared hypoglycemic. And these were premature babies? Yep. Oh, no. And she was cold. She was two months old, but they were premature. I don't know how premature they were, so they're probably about, like, like newborn, like, nine yeah. months. Yeah. Normal size. So, yeah. So they said she was cold, but they, the doctors came and they couldn't find anything. So Becky was sent home with her mother. So Alec had called the doctors knowing that she'd just given her um, insulin. Oh. And knowing that she was going to go into hypoglycemic shock and stuff. But the doctor, it was too early. The doctors didn't pick <gasps> up on it and they were like, no, she's fine. Send her home. Oh my god. So that night, Becky went into convulsions. This is at home. She went into convulsions and cried out in pain. So they took her back in and the doctor suggested she had colic. The parents kept it in their bed for observation, but she died in the night. Oh. So there was, um, despite the autopsy, there was no clear cause of death. 
And then Katie, her twin, was admitted to Grantham for observation. Oh, no. She didn't. So, Alec was then in charge of Katie's care. And then soon enough, Katie stopped breathing. They revived her, but two days after that, she had a similar attack, which resulted in the collapse of her lungs. She was transferred to Nottingham, where it was found that five of her ribs were broken. What? In addition to having suffered severe brain damage as a result of her oxygen deprivation. Five of her ribs were broken? Yeah. So that's like physical now, it's not just injecting. Yeah. Because baby's ribs don't just break. No. Like, everyone makes a joke about, like, they all seem very fragile. Obviously, they are very fragile, but baby's ribs don't just break. So she went to the Nottingham Hospital and she survived. But Katie's mother, who's called Sue, was so grateful to Alec for saving her baby's life that she made her Katie's godmother. (gasps) And Beverly was like, yes, of course, I'll be Katie's godmother. Oh my god, that makes me feel sick. Despite being the reason that she had partial paralysis now, cerebral palsy, and sight and hearing damage. And the the other one died? Yep, her twin died. Oh my god. So, after this, four more victims followed, but they didn't die. They went on to be healthy babies. They went to different. But Mm. the unexplained attacks on the healthy babies now, at this point, started flagging up. The hospital's like, um, we've had quite a lot of deaths on Child War 4. Like, we should probably look into that. Yeah, right. Someone's probably up to something, like... This is in, like, two months. It's not spread out over years. It was almost, like, spree. Like, it's yeah, it's not like it was Harold Shipman and he was doing it for years. She she started working there. It was over two months, it said, so it's the end of March now, so we could say that she started working there either end of January, start of February. The first child came in on the twenty first of February. Oh my god. It was like, like this was this was in like yeah, exactly. She wanted to be the hero every single shift she had. Yeah. So the final victim was fifteen month old Claire Peck on April twenty second, nineteen ninety one. She was asthmatic and required a breathing tube. And in, while she was in Alex's care, for a few minutes, she suffered a heart attack. So Okay, a few minutes? Yeah. What? So she was, le- she was revived, but then when left alone with Alex again, the same day, she had another one and she couldn't be revived from that. Oh my god. So. It's like every chance she gets, she like, she's like, okay, I've got two minutes to do this before the doctor comes back. Yeah, exactly. So... An autopsy suggested that Claire had died from natural causes, but Dr. Nelson Porter initiated the inquiry into this, the flagged amount of cardiac like arrest that had happened on the children's yes, ward. Yes, I love him. I know, that's why I was like, I've Thank got to you. get his name down, because you can't just Nelson. ignore that. Someone picked it up. Yeah. I think I've seen a documentary on this before as well, and the nurses are trying to flag this up the whole time, but no one was listening to them. Oh my but God, that really? might be a different person. Because I, like, I watch yeah. a lot of documentaries about this kind of thing, so it could be a different person. I'll have to clarify. But I think that like the nurses were like, this isn't right. It's every time she's on a shift, and the doctors were like, don't be ridiculous. Oh, God. Apart from this so, one guy. Yeah. So, well, I mean... You say that, but it took how many? It took 13 people, 13 children to die before he was like, "Mm, yeah, maybe. I mean, it should take two or three max. Yeah. No, one, one, it could be a one off. Yeah. (laughs) But two or three in the same month, like, come on. There's definitely a correlation there. Exactly. So they looked into all the previous deaths from the last two months and, oh, sorry, let me, I missed a bit out. So 
they did a blood test on Claire's blood, which they hadn't done on any of the autopsies, and they found high levels of potassium in her blood. Sorry, but why did they not do blood tests on all the other ones? They I just died don't from think... random causes? I don't think it was a... Um... It wasn't a random cause though, was it? It was cardiac arrest. And I don't think it was like a dunt. They didn't just do toxicology on everyone. Yeah. And I they're don't... babies. So like they don't take anything themselves. Yeah. And true. they trust the people that work there. Yeah. So the police were contacted 18 days after this and they exhumed baby Claire and they discovered traces of lignocaine ligno in her system. Which is a drug used in cardiac arrest, but it's never given to babies. Oh. Yeah. So then they looked into all the previous deaths from the last two months and found high levels of insulin in most. Um, and they also found that Alec had reported the key to the insulin fridge as missing. Wait, what? The key to the insulin fridge. Alec was the one that reported that it was missing. Oh. Yeah, in the last two months. So she was the only person with the key, basically. Yeah. Because oh that God. wasn't missing. What? So did no one else just have no one else had insulin for the last two months? Oh no, they would have got a new key, but they would have been like, oh well, the other one's gone missing, and they've just not looked into it. Oh, they didn't so, change the lock. Yeah, I guess. Oh, uh, I don't know. Clearly not, because she was still getting yeah. into it. Yeah. So by checking the nursing records, it was found that the only corresponding factor in 25 suspicious episodes of 13 victims, four of whom were dead, was the presence of Beverly Allen. Oh my god. Imagine being a detective, like, I, this is the detective work that I kind of like, like, you get all the papers out and you're looking at it and you're highlighting names and then you're like, She's oh my god, she was there for everyone. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. So, she was charged in November of 1991, so it was put through really quickly as well. Good, good, um, good. She denied any part in the attacks, and then they also found, like, lost nursing files that showed that she was there at the attacks and stuff in her house. Oh. Um, and her history suggests that both Munchausen syndrome and Munchausen's by proxy. So, she refused to confess, but after a series of hearings, she was charged with four counts of murder, 11 counts of attempted murder, 11 counts of grievous bodily harm. Um, as she awaited her trial, she lost a lot of weight and developed anorexia nervosa as well. Um, she went to trial at Nottingham Crown Court on February 15th, 1993, and the trial lasted nearly two months, and out of those two months, she only attended 16 days of, of court. Why? Because she was so ill. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. So then, yeah. So then in May 23rd, 1993, she was given 13 life sentences. 13? For murder and attempted murder, um, which is the, still the harshest sentence ever given to a woman. Oh my God, I love that. I know. Justice uh, Lantham said... Uh, it was to commemorate, the sentence was to commemorate the horrific sufferings of the victims, their families, and the ignominy, she, ig, ignominy. <laughs> We're not very I good think at it English means like, today. <laughs> I think it, it's like I-G-O-M-I-N-Y. It's like, I think it means like the kind of piss take she took yeah. of, she brought to the nursing profession. Yeah. So he basically that, said that, that they gave woman. her that sentence to prove a point. Like you can't, you can't go into the nursing profession, which is so like well looked up to by everyone, and kill people's babies and not get a really harsh sentence for and that. And 
knowingly agree to be the godmother of one the twin, twin that you yeah. still tried to murder. That's what I mean. Like, obviously the whole thing is horrible, but that's just so sadistic. Like, you that's... sit there knowing that you've killed that baby's, like, twin. Yeah. It's like what we were saying about vigils. <clears throat> exactly. So, the... Grantham Hospital never recovered from this and the maternity wing was completely shut down. I mean, it's horrible that there's not... Loads of people must have, like, lost jobs and stuff. Yeah. But would you ever trust... No. I don't know. You wouldn't, would you? No. So then, rather going to prison, Alec was incarcerated at Rumpton Secure Hospital, which is a high-security facility, but it's for people... Uh, for many individuals detained under the Mental Health Act. Yeah. So a lot of the parents weren't happy about this and they like basically saying it's like butlins. That's the word they used. Oh my God, really? I can imagine yeah. that though. If you're convicted of 13 life sentences and they and put you, get you in to a go place. To a hospital. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd rather go to a hospital than prison. I'd rather not do either though. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, generally. Yeah. So... As an inmate there, she began her attention-seeking behaviour again. So she ingested ground glass what? and she poured boiling water all over her hand. I don't want to say what's wrong with her because obviously a lot, but... Yeah, so clearly she does have mental issues, but Very also like... clearly. I also don't think... Insanity is one of those defences where... She didn't use the defence of Do you know insanity. right or wrong? You yeah, I mean? it's like, do you know what you're doing and do you understand what's going on? She understood what she was doing. She just had a very weird perception of yeah. herself and the world around her. So, but we'll end on a good note, right? Okay. So the nature of her crimes, and I didn't even know this list existed either. So the nature of her crimes means that Beverly Allett has been put on the list, home officer's list, of criminals who will never, ever get paroled. Oh my god, I did not know that was a list. I love that. I love that. I think that's great. Horrible though. Like she deserves Awful to be on that killers, list. But like that's that's such a good thing to know that that exists for people like her. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, that's the that's it for this week. I feel like we've both done really, really. I don't think any week's going to be really ending on a happy note, is it? No. Well, I was talking to Bill about this at work. He's someone I work with. I don't think he'll mind me using his name. And he said, talk about your dogs at the end of it. Oh. So. We already heard my dog featured in this episode. <laughs> we'll keep a little bit of that in. <laughs> <laughs> little Bob outside. Yeah. Bob. Worst name for a dog. <laughs> Funny thing my dogs have started doing this week is so I've got a boy dog. I've got a boy. I've got two beagles. I've got a boy who's like a, nearly two. And I've got a girl who's like nearly one. Oh. So Oscar and Tilly. Yeah, because so... we, we, our dogs are called the same. Well, we both have a dog yeah. called Tilly. Mine's a very old black Labrador and I have a little crazy dog called Bob. But... And mine's a little psycho beagle. But she's a rescue as well, so she's got loads of stuff wrong with her too. Oh. Um, but Tilly has started humping Oscar. Oh no, that freaks me out. <laughs> Does it not make you laugh a little bit? No, because nothing... It's a girl. She can't do anything. But, like, he tried to do it to her. Oh, my God, I didn't even realise. Yeah, because he tried to do it to her. And then just recently, like, this week, she started doing it to him. And I started, like... I, like, Googled it because I was like, that's not, like... That can't be, like, 
innate behaviour. And it's like a dominance thing that like if wow. a female dog is living with a male dog, like they'll start humping them back to show like, oh well I can it's do like it a too. dominance thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically. That's so funny. I can imagine you googling that just like, is it normal if my female dog <laughs> male dog. Literally, that's what I had to Google. <laughs> but yeah, that's my little fun fact fun this week. Fun anecdote of the week. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have any fun anecdotes. My dogs are just absolutely crazy and bark very loudly at 11.30 at night, apparently. Oh. <laughs> my neighbours love me. <laughs> I saw some tweets earlier saying that um, ASMR true crime is actually a thing and it really freaked me out a bit. I don't How? think I'd like that. I just wouldn't. That's no, not that not. sounds like Tinder for serial killers. Oh god, There's doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> like the ones with fetishes and stuff, like Ed Kemp. Like, yeah, let's go watch ASMR and people talk about murder. Like, mm. and especially Edmund Kemper. Imagine talking about his murders ASMR, and you're talking about him and a severed head. Like, oh my no, that's stop. I'm cutting this. I'm stopping this now. Yeah, we need to stop. <laughs> so. In today's episode, we are finishing up by banning true crime ASMR. So <laughs> don't talk to us about it. Don't bring it near us. Let it happen quietly on the other side of the internet, away from us. <laughs> okay. So thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. We'll we'll have just come back from our holiday when we do the next one. Yes. Both of us have accidentally booked a holiday on the same week. It, yeah, it wasn't actually. We're not going together. <laughs> okay. Let's 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 wrap this shit up. Okay, thanks for listening, guys. We'll speak to you next week. Yep, follow us at Dignity on all social media. Very simple. Send in any ideas you have. We're welcome to anything. Send yeah. us anything you want, basically. Send us your crime time stories. It'll start from next week. We'll be having a crime time at the end of our stories. Amazing. Yeah. Right, okay. Okay. Goodbye. Bye! <laughs>